I needed my girlfriends. I'd always had girlfriends my whole life. And they fill me up. Time with them fills me up. And then I'm so grateful to have my husband as a life partner for all the things. But sort of recognizing that they were two different relationships was it, it released some of the pressure on my marriage and it let me enjoy my girlfriends. Welcome to an Enter the Chat episode of the Mom Force podcast, where a special guest answers your questions. And today it's all about friendship with author Laura Tremaine. All right. Hello, Laura Tremaine. Thank you for entering the chat with us today. We're so happy you're here. I am so excited to be here. I always love chatting with you, especially. <laughs> I always refer to you as my friend, Laura, but we've never met in real life, but that's okay, right? We're still friends. We are still friends. I write in the book a whole section about how internet friends are real friends. <laughs> I love it. I actually use the term friend very liberally. Basically, anyone that I feel connected to, usually someone that I've met either online or in person, but I've even used it for people that I've never met because you know, through social media and podcasting, you really feel like you come to know these people. And it's okay to sometimes have a one-sided friendship, right? Of course. I think that I use that word really liberally too. Culturally, we do. I mean, I like refer to my podcast listeners as friends, yes. you know? Yes, yes. The tricky part is the fact that we are using one term for all of these different relationships in our life, including strangers, like we're saying. Yeah. <laughs> That's the same term that we use for someone that we have a deep history or connection with. And yeah. sometimes I think that's why we're confused on this topic. Not that yes. we can't differentiate between strangers and real friends, but because sometimes it does get harder to differentiate between like close, long-time deep friends and the potential of new friends and, you know, friends yeah. you have a history with versus friends you feel a spiritual connection to. Like the fact that we have the same word for all of those people. Yeah. It's tricky. It's tricky. And this is the beauty of your new book. And I cannot wait to dig deep into all of that. But I'm a huge fan of yours, but I don't know if everyone knows who you are and what you do. Can we start off with a quick introduction? Yes, of course. My name is Laura Tremaine. I am a writer, a podcaster, a mom. I live in Los Angeles and I host a weekly podcast called 10 Things to Tell You. I've written two books. The first one is called Share Your Stuff. I'll go first. I've talked with you about that book yes, before. So and it. then my brand new book is called The Life Council, 10 Friends Every Woman Needs. And I live in LA with my husband and two kiddos. And you have a fabulous fish tank. I've spent a lot of time showing your fish tank videos to my husband because that is one of his dreams. Um, you'll have to find her on Instagram and, and check out the wall of fish. It's amazing. Um, Laura, you also teach about journaling. You have a journaling course, which I have yes. loved. And it's helped me break out of this idea that journaling is meant to be some curated record for posterity, but it's actually an effective tool to help like get to know yourself better. I'm really passionate about journaling, but I also thought that everyone was kind of on the same page about journaling, and it turns out we're not. Yeah. <laughs> and so, and so totally. when I started talking about it on Instagram and showing how I do it, and then eventually I made it into this class called Journaling for Grownups, it was like really eye-opening to see people who don't journal regularly or haven't, or even if they have it, we just think about it a lot of times as one thing. Like it has to look like 
dear diary, or it has to be like always pouring out your soul, or it has to be in a pretty notebook, or it has to have, you know, well-written sentences. And all of those things are hangups to journaling. Like what if we don't have good handwriting? What if we don't consider ourselves a writer? What if we don't want to write our deep thoughts down? Like there's all these different ways that we are like, journaling is not for me. And I try now to teach people that journaling is for everyone, all different personality types, all different ways you can approach it. It can be shallow. It can be deep. It can be lists. Can you tell yeah. that I like really feel yeah. passionately yeah. about it? <laughs> yes. And I love it because you're just debunking what we might have preconceived notions and expectations of what journaling is. And you do the same with friendships. And this is like what I love about your book, The Life Council, 10 Friends Every Woman Needs. Can you just start off by explaining what does it mean to create your own life council? Because the number 10 there immediately can instill some anxiety in people. Like, I need 10 friends. Just break it down for us a little bit. I do not want people to be scared by the subtitle. (laughs) 10 Friends Every Woman Needs. First of all, I'm talking about that over the course of your life. Some of the friends that I write about are very specifically seasonal. You are not always going to have a mentor, maybe. You know, you are not always going to have a new friend. That's not where you are in your life. Like, the friends are looking at the whole of our life. I'm also very specifically not telling you to go out and make 10 new friends or even five new friends or even one new friend. A huge part of the book is looking at your existing landscape, looking at what your life already looks like to assemble a life council. So the life council idea came from my friend, Chris Ann, who one time we were sitting in a circle of women who coincidentally, we met on the internet, the circle of women. We were like internet (laughs) blog friends like a decade ago. We were sitting in a circle and she brought up this concept about having a life council, much like a company has a board of directors. So when you assemble a board of directors for a business, you are looking to fill those spots with people who probably have specific expertise. Like maybe you have a financial person, maybe you have a creative person, maybe you have someone who's really great with HR. And you're really trying to like, you know, have a a variety of experience and perspectives on mm-hmm. your, you know, business board of directors. We have a board meeting coming up this week. So this is hitting hitting home. I know exactly what you're talking about. So it's right on your mind. <laughs> yes. So what if we did that with the friendships in our life, instead of expecting that we are going to have like that sort of elusive bestie that is all the things, they are an old friend, they are someone you can connect with deep and meaningfully, but they're also fun and they're also nurturing and they're also good at giving advice. Like all of those things in one person is so impossible. And I think that sometimes we because we want that like one person, we start to feel like the lack of having a best friend when we're in our sort of middle life. We're like, well, I don't have a go-to or I don't have a friend that's super fun or I don't have a friend that I can have a deep conversation with. Instead of feeling all of that lack, I wanted to like lay out the idea of like, what if we really looked at the strengths of the various friendships that are already in our life and assemble them to say, hey, my one friend that I have really amazing conversations with like twice a year or whatever, 
she's not my super fun friend. Like she's not going to be the one that's planning the girl trip. And the friend that's planning the girl's trip, like she might not want to have deep, meaningful conversations. So instead of feeling like, oh, I wish this friendship was something else, you're like, oh no, isn't it great that I have a fun friend and a deep conversation friend and a friend that I can talk with business work stuff about it and a friend who's known me since I was a child and a new friend who's only known me this year but like it's amazing that she knows this latest version of me I really wanted to like lay out these different types of friends so that we can look at our friendships and their strengths for what they are instead of sort of itching for what they aren't yeah yeah honestly as I read your book I realized I actually have a lot more friends than I give myself credit for because like you were describing, I think I was expecting one person to embody all of those things. And I was able to, you know, look at all the different like needs in my life and the different facets and my work friends and my church friends and my longtime childhood friends. Like, and it's okay that I'm not as invested right now today in all of those friendships, but they've played an important role and they are still so important to me. In I think often we're like looking for that one bestie who can fulfill all of our dreams. And then also like, you've got a friendship group. Like I know, especially with my kids, friend groups are a big deal. Like the the group of people you surround yourself with and um, just that number 10. And thank you for dispelling the myth that we need 10 friends right now that we can list on our fingers. Because when I asked my Instagram audience about friends and asked how many friends do you have? 42% said two to five. Okay. Okay. And then 34% said one to two. And I really feel like, you know, there's nothing wrong with having five close friends. But if you feel like you only have a couple of friends, getting these concepts, these ideas, these categories that Laura um, outlines in her book, getting familiar with those might expand the horizon for you. You'll see you have actually more friends than, than you think you do. Oh, I think people have a lot more friends. They just don't want to categorize them like that. Yeah. The people who answered your poll with one to two, they probably meant like deep and meaningful yeah. friendships to them. Like if they had to pick bridesmaids right now, they have two people like right. that sort of <laughs> level of friendship. But I think we often dismiss other people in our lives because we're not quote unquote, that close. They're not bridesmaids level friends. Yeah. So like the fun friend that I already described, you might be invited on those, you know, mom's night out dinners or whatever, but you're like, I'm not really that close to her or like our coworker that you like enjoy. And sometimes you grab lunch with them or whatever, but you're like, but I mean, I'm not that close to her. Mm-hmm. It is still a person in your life that you can see as like, Actually, I love that she puts those dinners together. I love that this person will have lunch with me and really gets what my job looks like every day. No one else in my life gets what my job looks like. So instead of sort of dismissing these people that are either in the periphery or that we think, well, they're not like a friend friend, I'm really trying to elevate those people, not to make them necessarily more important in your life. They still might not make your bridesmaids type of list, but to just see them for who they are, what they're bringing to your world, and this is key, what you are bringing to theirs. Yeah. Because it works the other way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And I want to talk more about the work of friendship. But I I wish I had your book sitting right here so I could read the categories. Can you just tell us what the categories are that you talk about? 
in your book? Because I have a bonus category that I'm going to submit for your consideration. Oh, I love that. I want to hear your bonus category. I do have my book right here. So you want to hear the 10 types of friends? Yeah, the 10 types of friends, just to get in our minds as we're thinking and having this conversation. Sure, sure. There's the daily duty friend, the old friend, the business bestie, the fellow obsessive. That one's really popular. (laughs) The battle buddy, the yes friend, the mentor, the password protector, the new friend, and the soul sister. And then I have a bonus chapter sort of that's not one of the 10 friends, but is really meaningful to me that I wanted to write about. And that's called the empty chair. So that's instead of that being one of the 10 friends, it's sort of holding a place for For possibility for the possibility. Or I also write about friends that we have lost either, Mm. you know, through tragedy, through friendship breakups or other things that are really hard that leaves a seat on our life council empty for a season. So that's kind of the 11th friend, I guess. Yeah, that's beautiful. Okay. So for your consideration, I I can't help but think of a category that uh, I have a friend who fills this need in my life. She is my no BS bestie. She is Mm -hmm. the one that I go to if I want straight talk. Like, I might not agree with her, but if I want to know if this top is cute, she will tell me without any hesitation. I love it. Everyone needs a no BS bestie. I love that one. Yeah. Tina, Tina Jaskovich, thank you for being my no BS bestie. I'm really glad that you brought your own to the table, actually, because when people are reading the book, I don't want them to think that like, these are the 10 types like set in stone, like forever. Yeah, These are to get you thinking like this, like you already came up with your own. I want people to think like, well, you know, I don't work in a traditional job, so I'm not going to have a business bestie, but who is, you know, who fills a seat that maybe isn't listed in the book, but that has become very important to me. I really want people to like have their wheels turning in that way. So I'm glad you brought your own. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. Um, You also share some philosophies of friendship, five philosophies. And one of them really hit home to me. And that is your spouse is not your best friend. And it kind of goes back to what we're talking about. We expect our bestie to like take care of all of our friendship needs. And I think there was a time when he and I first met, we met when we were 18, my husband and I, and he did become my best friend. He was my whole world. Like I, I would have said in a heartbeat, yes, he's my best friend. And you talk about, oh, marrying my best friend. But as, you know, we got older and more life experience and we started having children and all of a sudden I started to feel some guilt that I didn't really think he was my best friend. Like he can't, I, in, in the sense that we have as women, as like the best friend that like, knows every part of your soul. And Mm -hmm. again, I don't think one person can know every part of your soul, but in my brain, what a best friend was, like it wasn't fair for me to expect my husband to meet those types of needs. And so I would, that was my unpopular opinion if ever asked, like my husband is not my best friend. And I pulled my community again and I expected more people to see eye to eye with me because you and I, you know, we see eye to eye on this, right? Yes. 79% of the people that answered my poll said that their partner, their spouse is their best friend. And I'm just going to take that can either be true or it can be people who feel pressure to say that their spouse is their best friend. I I would love to hear more of your thoughts on that, especially if anyone's feeling guilty, if they might have this feeling like, well, he's not really my best friend. Is that okay? I am skeptical of that. 
statistic also. <laughs> it feels high, right? Because I think that it has become very culturally romantic for us to think that our spouse is our best friend or to put them in that role. It's also a very modern idea. That is not how marriage and partnership have been portrayed throughout mm, most right. of history, which doesn't mean that it's right or wrong that, that we have landed there right now, but it just means like it doesn't have to be that way for it to be successful. I also think that there's so many cultural things at play here. One is I just, on, an, on another show I was on, someone told me that we as a culture now spend more time with our families than we have in the past. So if you're doing a lot yeah. of family time, which is great, I'm all for that, then the person you're with the most might be your spouse. That starts to feel like a best friend. My husband and I were friends before we started dating, very, very close friends. So that for me contributed to feeling like he was my best friend, you know, because he was before we were romantic. So there's like kind of a lot of things at play here. But after we were married and, you know, I had a baby and I wasn't working anymore, I was really lonely here in Los Angeles. And I felt like, not, not immediately, but it became a light bulb moment that I was putting a lot of pressure on our marriage yep. to make him be my best friend because my relationship with my husband is so different from my other best friends. He doesn't want to like sit at dinner for three hours and dissect all the things nope. like he just doesn't he doesn't want to like deep dive or belly laugh in the same way like he is the most important person in my life he is my partner my co-parent we make financial decisions together yeah. like all the things that you do with a spouse that is really different from the energy and dynamic of what you have with your best friends and for me I really realized I needed both types of relationships to really feel like I had like a full cup. I needed my girlfriends. I'd always had girlfriends my whole life and they fill me up. Time with them fills me up. And then I'm so grateful to have my husband as yeah. a life partner for all the things. But sort of recognizing that they were two different relationships was it, it released some of the pressure on my marriage and it let me enjoy my girlfriends, my best yeah. friends on a whole different level because I could, I was free to just really be like, not, you know, not taking away from them by pouring it into my marriage that I could have both. Yeah. And actually both was best for me. Yes. And actually I think both is best for my husband because like yours, he does not want the three hour deep dive on like, <laughs> all of the feelings on all of the things. He loves to send me off to my girlfriends to do that and then come home to do what we do best. Um, someone from our Mom Force Facebook group, she actually stated this perfectly. Elise says, intimacy doesn't equal best friendship. And I don't think that role is meant for him. Yes. And that, that I'm like, amen, Elise. Yes, I am with you. And, but it's okay if your friendships or your relationships look different. There's no one right way you do you. But another one of your friendship philosophies, friendship is a to-do. You mentioned in the book that friendship equals work plus joy. That sparked so many thoughts and some feelings, some a little uncomfortable because I feel like I could be putting a little more work into my friendships. So let's talk about that. What is the kind of work that you are referring to? What is the kind of work that goes into building and maintaining friendships? Well, I hate to add to our plates because I know that we are busy. We are moms. You know, we 
work. We have a lot of responsibilities. And so I didn't want to add to people's plate, yeah. like in a shame-filled way of like, you're not doing the work of friendship. But also there's so much written about and spoken about, you know, the work of marriage, the work of parenthood and how you really have to stay intentional about those things. You have to put the effort in. And we don't talk about that in terms of friendship because friendship feels a little more optional, right? Than like your marriage or, or your kids, the people who live in your home. And I think we also expect one another to just be naturally good at friendship. <laughs> like yeah. natu I naturally think of you and check in. I naturally send flowers on your big day. Like these are things that come naturally to me. Well, I don't know about you, but those things are, do not come naturally <laughs> to me. <laughs> Like yep. I, I do think about my friends. I've, I'll think of a friend when I'm in the shower, like, oh, I need to check in with so-and-so. She's going through a thing. Well, by the time I get out of the shower, I forget. I have not checked in with her. I definitely forget to like send flowers or a gift or mm -hmm. whatever on people's big days. And I was forgetting that stuff enough that it actually did start to affect some of my friendships. This was in the years before I wrote the book, and I already had this book sort of percolating in my mind, and I felt like I can't write a book on friendship. I felt so ill-equipped because I was dropping the ball in several areas in my friendships. I'd had some friendship struggles. I had felt like I had really let down a few friends. They'd called me out on it because I hadn't, I hadn't checked in on them. I hadn't been a good friend to them in a hard season in their life for various different reasons for me personally. I was realizing that I wasn't being the friend I wanted to be. My actions were not matching in my heart because I held my friends dear in my heart and in my brain, but that was not, you know, being expressed. I was not showing up for them in the way that I wanted to. And so, again, this was years before I started writing the book, I started making friendship and connection part of my to-do list. So I still use a to-do list like on a notebook every day. And I have a section for work stuff, work tasks I need to do that day. I have obviously personal mom life stuff that I need to do. And then now I have a third column for connection. And it's like a little bit embarrassing that I have to literally put on my to-do list, like text people back <laughs> or, you know, like do an no, email check-in no. or whatever. I, I have to write it down. I 100% get it. Laura, I have a reminder on my phone that goes off daily to remind me to hug my children. Okay. <laughs> I get it. We get, I get like in the zone, nothing else matters. I am being productive and I forget even the most important relationships. So yeah, of course. I mean, we all do. I think we all just sort of get in our head or we have our head down. We're doing the grind, We're yeah. like doing all the things. And Friendship in particular, like on the priority list, might sometimes continually get bumped to the bottom because we have spouses and kids and jobs and, you know, communities that feel like they have to take priority. And when friendship keeps getting the shaft, like when it keeps getting bumped down to the bottom, you're going to feel it. You're going to yeah. end up lonely. You're going to end up hurting someone's feelings. You're going to feel like, you know, sort of unfulfilled in a wholehearted life because a wholehearted life requires friendship. And mm -hmm. so, that was happening to me. And I was like, this isn't, I have to figure out a fix for this because I can't just keep expecting it to happen naturally. <laughs> like yeah. I can't, it's, that's not, it's not, I have to be honest about who I am and what my daily life looks like. And it looks like to-do lists and a notebook. Yeah. And so I'm adding friendship in. Now, one caveat to this 
friendship philosophy is that I have had friends who do not like being on my to-do list, not because Mm -hmm. they don't like being prioritized, but because they want it to happen more naturally. They want to be a checklist, an obligation. They want it to be sincere. But I don't think it means you're not sincere. It just means I recognize my personality type. And to get to the things that are most important to me, I sometimes have to schedule them in. I told one friend, I was like, well, I'm just going to stop making it so obvious. So so like (laughs) if I had an alarm on my phone, like you do. So if she noticed that I was checking in with her every day at three, maybe she would put it together that I had a phone alarm doing that. And I was like, I'm going to try and make it look more natural if you will just like let it go that you're part of my to-do list. That's hilarious. You're just going to be a little stealth, a little stealthier on your your strategy. I love that. As you're talking about the to-dos, and there are so many things that we, like ways that you can make someone part of your do. Marco Polo has been a tool that's so helpful for me to help me stay in contact that like I can just open that up while I'm driving and if, if a friend talks in my pops in my mind, we can have a little, you know, um, asynchronous conversation. Like you, I use reminders on my phone to remind me of birthdays or, you know, big events that might be coming up. If you have the kind of friend that likes to pop in, sometimes just popping in, you know, saying hi or dropping off a treat. Or my friend was just t- telling me about something that she does called the drink run where if she's got a friend that's been on her mind and it's just hard to schedule a lunch or like set aside a big amount of time, she'll just text and say, hey, I've got a couple of minutes today if you want to go for a drink run. And if they can even find 15 minutes and they'll like meet at, so we live in Utah and soda shops are a big deal, fancy sodas, meet for soda or pick pick each other up and go for a little drive while you, you know, drink a fun soda or something is a fun way to connect. But back to the to-do list, my girlfriend and I were just talking about to be lists and like we're experts at making to-do lists but we were challenging each other to like write down who who do we want to be and are those Mm. things in alignment and it made me think of some of the things that were happening the conversations that were happening on our mom force facebook group when we were talking about friendship and about how you got to be the friend that you want right Mm -hmm. and it reminded me of some of your philosophies like just go like be willing to show up like every selfie. I love that philosophy. Like be there, engage with them, like give them the little heart on the Instagram photo. Even if you're like, you know, you don't have to agree. You don't have to necessarily love the outfit they're wearing or whatever they're doing. Like just be there for them. Give them that like little heart or believe the best. That's another one of your philosophies that sometimes when we aren't at our best, just believe that they have the best intentions. Like be the kind of friend that you hope to have in your life. Yes. And as you're reading through the different types of friends of, you know, who is in your life, really noticing who you are also, what your strengths are. Because sometimes I think one of the reasons that we get into like a shame spiral or we feel guilty or whatever is because we are not good at maybe traditional expectations of friendship. So like for me, I was not good at at communication. Now, putting it on my to-do list is a way that I have tried to fix that. But other ways. Like, let's say you're just not naturally nurturing. Like you're not going to make a soup when someone's sick. Like that's just not your deal. What if we released that sort of part of friendship maybe and be like, I'm going to show up in a different way for my friend and I'm really going to lean into it. Like I'm going to be the one that bakes a cake for their birthday every time. And it's something that everyone looks forward to. And it's what I'm known for versus like being the nurturing friend. When you're reading through the types, notice like, oh, I am the fun friend. So I'm going to plan a, you know, mom's night out this week because that's me. 
letting yourself be the fun friend and be like, oh, I hate deep talks. I'm not going to have any. It's not, I'm not saying that fun friends can't also have deep talks, but yeah. just while we're noticing our friends' strengths, to also be noticing ours yeah. and maybe release some of those things that make us feel like a quote unquote bad friend. Because you and yeah. I have alluded to it before, like, ugh, I was a bad friend during <laughs> that season or at that job or whatever. Yeah. If we can just be like, actually, no, that just wasn't my friendship strength. And I'm going to focus and lean hard into being this type of friend because that's what I'm already good at. Yeah. I love that you brought that up. You mentioned in the book that you're an introvert, which I was surprised to read because from my observance of you, you don't seem to be. Although my husband also says he's an introvert and I feel a little whiplashed on that. I did not know that that's what I was marrying. Um, <laughs> anyway, but talking about like knowing who you are. There's actually quite a few introverts in our Mom Force Facebook group. They've proclaimed, self-proclaimed introverts. Can you help us dispel the rumor that only extroverted people are good at making friends? I, I remember very clearly, like, I was more of a shy child and teenager. And I remember my mom once saying, you know, I wish you could be bubbly and fun like Stephanie. You know, the cute blonde girl from our church group who was bubbly and fun. And she was clearly an extrovert. And everyone loved to be around her. And I was just the more, like introverted, thoughtful, kind of quirky redhead. And so I've kind of held extrovertism as, is that a word? Extrovertism? Being an extrovert as like, you know, that's what you want to be. Mm -hmm. But if we're being honest with ourselves, very few of us are. So can we still be good friends and be good at making friends? Yes. Well, let's differentiate between Stephanie, who... <laughs> was like maybe the life of the party. Like there's something magnetic about her personality. People wanted to be around her. There's that person. And that person is like one in 100 people, you know, mm -hmm. is like that. Being an introvert or being an extrovert, because I'm very chatty. People are always very surprised when I claim to be an introvert, except if you're in my real life, you know that I take a ton of time to recover. So yeah, that's the telltale. Yeah, that's the sign. Being with people does not energize me. I love being with people and I am like talkative, but I have to go home and like literally take a nap after every mm -hmm. interaction. Yeah. After we record today, I will need to go be quiet for like two hours, <laughs> literally. So oh. that's the difference of if being with people is exhausting and not that doesn't necessarily mean negative. It's not yeah. negative to me at all. It's just like how your energy works or whatever. Or if it, you know, wires you and keeps you up all night after you've been at a great party. Introverts can definitely have a lot of friends and deep, meaningful conversations. They might just connect on a different way. Like yeah. parties may not be their thing because it is too overstimulating. And like smaller gatherings or even one-on-one -on -one might just be a better way. And so kind of knowing yourself, like we already talked about, quit forcing yourself to go to parties or social events that are overwhelming and maybe you don't get to have the deepest of conversations at, at louder social events. And so you get in your car and you're like, ugh, like, you know, mm -hmm. you feel, you don't feel, you feel the opposite of fulfilled. Notice if when you go on one-on-one -on -one with a friend, if then you come home and even if you're tired, you feel very fulfilled by that and then lean more into those yeah. interactions. But I also don't want people to lean on their introversion or their extroversion as like, that's not the key ingredient, like yeah. at all. 
Like you don't have to be, don't use it as a crutch and be like, well, I'm never going to have good friends because I'm an introvert. Or if you're an extrovert, don't be like, well, I have lots of friends because I'm an extrovert. Neither of those things are true. You have to notice and take responsibility for your own relationships and what's working. Yeah, that's great advice. Okay, something that can affect both introverts and extroverts actually is anxiety. And there were quite a few people that talked about feeling a lot of anxiety about putting themselves out there or making new friends. And actually, this is a question from our Mom Force Facebook group from Mary. She says, why is it so hard to make new friends as an adult? I get social anxiety pretty bad, and it's so hard for me to put myself out there. What are your best tips for overcoming anxieties and connecting with others? I totally get this because I also have anxiety. Now, mine isn't usually social anxiety, but I have a lot of anxiety in my life just as like a mental health thing I have to stay on top of. So I really do understand this. And I have one main tip for this in this context. And it is you have to train yourself to hold it all a little more loosely. So one of the reasons that I think that we get social anxiety we get very nervous about this is because we are holding really tightly to wanting to make a good connection or wanting to make a good impression or wanting to have felt like we had a good time or the money was worth it or the effort was worth it or, you know, whatever the thing is that we, we made this effort to get out of our own bubble and we're just holding onto it really tightly. Like if you can see me, I'm like physically like gripping my, my, my fists because that's how I am. And it it has a feel of desperation because we want it to work. Like this is not a negative thing, desperation. This is just like we hold this tightly because we care about it. We really want these things to go well. And we're nervous that we're going to come off as weird, that no one's going to like us, that we're going to say something awkward. These are real things. And then they're almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Because then for sure you maybe come off as weird or maybe say the awkward thing. If you can really train yourself, and I know that this actually takes a lot of mental and emotional work, but if you can train yourself to go into social gatherings with just like, this is just is going to be what it is. If I leave here tonight and have made no great connections and it was not the best time of my life, it's okay. If I just have one great conversation or the meal is good or whatever, it's okay. I'm going to hold all of this loosely. It doesn't define me. It doesn't define my future friendships. I have had to do so much work around holding everything loosely because especially when I was a new mom in those years, I had a lot of anxiety. I had postpartum anxiety that sometimes came out as postpartum anger. anger. I'm not going to take a whole tangent on mental health. But it really does matter that we are holding our bodies and our spirits so tightly when we are in our anxious brain. And if we can say to ourselves, like do a self-talk to ourselves, that we are going to hold this loosely. I'm not going to come out of this gathering with a new bestie. Mm -hmm. It's too high a bar to like have every interaction be like that. I'm not going to, at this networking event for my work, going to come out, you know, with a new job offer or something like that. I'm just going to let things unfold that I hope can maybe eliminate why we're so fearful. There's so much fear behind our anxiety, and I'm not a mental health expert. Please, please hear Mm -hmm. me that I'm not an expert on this, but 
there's so much fear behind our anxiety that's tied to our worth, that's tied to shame, to tie, that's tied to all of those things. And it's so real. And sometimes the the train takes off and you can't, you can't even stop your thoughts in this way. This is why I try to do pre-self-talk, pre-gathering self-talk okay. of like, this is this is just going to be what it is and it doesn't have to be the best night of my life and I, it doesn't have to be perfect. And I'm going to, now if you can see me, I'm like literally holding my hands open. <laughs> I'm going to hold this more loose and see how that feels. Yeah. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, it, it makes perfect sense. I, I love that counsel. And as you're talking, I'm thinking about I don't personally really struggle with anxiety, but my kids do, several of my kids do. And the thing that I always tell them is just try not to think about yourself, like that Dale Carnegie principle of like, you know, get other people talking. Like if you're feeling that way, chances are everyone else is too. So if you can forget about yourself and just try to make someone else feel comfortable. I don't know. Is that a good advice for someone who really, you know, has real anxiety? Is that? Yes. I yeah, okay. I mean, I try to do that like because I'm a yeah. podcaster I mean, yeah. <laughs> that I've sort of trained myself to get people to talk about themselves I don't know if that wasn't your job if that would be as natural maybe you know for an anxious introvert but it is very good advice to, to take the spotlight off yourself as a way to be present without the yeah. glaring like metaphorical light. You yeah. know, I also think there's a lot of things that we do as anxious people that sometimes after a social gathering, we regret, meaning we talk too much because we're trying to fill silences or things like that, that if you can just notice at your next gathering, like what am I holding my body language in, in a way that isn't working like for me or for others? Like, you know, am I, am I sort of putting out an energy of like, you know, anxiety? Am I talking too much to make up for the fact that I'm nervous or because I don't like silence or whatever? Just a lot of this starts with, and this is true for all anxiety, a lot of this starts with noticing. It starts with being really mindful for what's actually happening so that you don't just get in your car at the end of the night, like I said, and it's a total blur. Like, oh, I said all the stupid things. Nobody talked to me. I felt crazy. Like it was not fun. All those, these ways. If you can try and be in the moment better, holding it loosely, noticing what's coming out of your mouth, what your body is doing. I mean, this is all like mindfulness stuff, not necessarily yeah. friendship stuff, but I know that it really does affect how we connect with others and how we feel, you know, socially. Yeah. Okay. Such great advice. Okay. All right. But what about actually finding the events to go to <laughs> where, I mean, sometimes that is like the biggest problem is like, where do I find these friends? Like I'm at home with kids all day long. Like, how do I get out? And I will say, I felt like it was easier for me to make friends when my kids were younger, when we had the library groups and the play dates and the preschool groups and all of that. And as an older mom, my youngest is 15 now. I don't have that kind of structure built in to, to help like put me face to face with, with other women all the time. But I did, I did read in your book where you talked about you were in a particular friend funk and maybe this after you got married and started having kids, but that your blog and your book club helped you to find your people. And when mm -hmm. I pulled our mom force community book club was a very popular answer, but I thought I would share some of the other things that people shared on places uh, where you can potentially find friends, the gym, church, PTA, 
uh, mops, mothers of preschoolers. That was a very popular answer as well. There were ideas to start your own group, start a bunko group or a cookbook club or a craft club. Actually, we got a lot of people chiming in saying, you just got to take the initiative. Like you make the, uh, the invitations, like figure out what it interests you and then just collect a few people that might want to come. And I loved what Ali said. She says, I just look for a mom with a bun wearing leggings who has crazy kids and I make a beeline straight to her. <laughs> we, I know we already have three things in common. That's easy to do when you're at the park. Maybe, you know, we're just so like ready to look at our phones and just like tap out and tune out a little bit, but maybe like look up and find the other mom that looks like you. Um, try to make a connection that way. Um, Sarah from our Facebook group, she says, literally getting a puppy has made me talk to so many more of my neighbors. So just mm. getting out of your house, if you have a puppy or even if you have a child, just get out and go for a walk, get some fresh air. That always helps my mental health. But I think just that taking ownership of like, if you don't have a bunch of invitations coming your way, or it's not obvious where you're going to go to meet your people, make the invitations, mm-hmm. like do the thing, put it on your to-do list. Yes. I have two things to say about that because the two biggest things that got me out of a lonely season was I started a blog. So this was a long time ago and I started a book club. Let's start with the book club because it sounds like a lot of your community resonate with that, but it doesn't have to be a book club if you're not into reading. What matters about starting or joining something that is already in existence that already meets regularly This is huge, whether it's once a month or, you know, a once a week yoga class or, you know, whatever it is, something that you either start and make it the first Saturday of the month or whatever, or something that's already in existence takes 80% of the friendship work out of it because it's Mm -hmm. already on the calendar. You don't have to constantly come up with something new and fun to do as friends or, you know, a place where you're going to meet someone because it's already a group that already meets. That's a huge hurdle and obstacle for us is, well, I just, I don't want to get, you know, coffee or margaritas one more time or take a walk or whatever. Like you're, we're trying to like come up with friendship dates or something. And it's just too hard. Like put something that's already there and is already consistent. That takes a huge amount of the work out of it. And then secondly, Back in the day when I started my blog, some of those principles still feel very relevant to me and that the internet can be your best friend when it comes to finding like-minded people. There Mm -hmm. are Facebook groups like your own where you can meet people that live in your area. I have had wonderful experiences in Facebook groups, whether they're groups that are a fan of a podcast or groups that are really into your same hobby or band or, you know, moms in your community, you know, whatever your life looks like, find a Facebook group that looks similar to try and meet people. And then there's also so many like apps and stuff out there that I think that we think is like a lame way to meet meet people. And it is not at all. Like meetup.com. I know Bumble has now a thing for friends that I just heard about from my niece, who's a 20 something. Let the internet help you. This is one of the positives to the internet. And it sort of filters out, you know, it filters by what you're into. And you can meet other people that you maybe wouldn't meet in any other way, depending on the size of community that you live in. I mean, I live in a huge city. There's tons of opportunities to meet people, but how would I know 
where to meet them. Like it's just chance if you are walking at the park or something like that. Whereas if I'm going to go to a book club that already exists, there's photography clubs, there's Peloton lovers. I mean, there's like whatever it is that you're into, seek out those people. And even, you know, bigger bonus is if it comes with a meeting that is already in existence or that you can start. And if you're not a reader, so so book clubs are such an easy default because everyone knows what that is. There's a lot of things out there that don't have to be tied to having like homework to them, which is kind of how I think you know, book club requires. They have to like read the book and like show up to talk. You can do a podcast club, which I think is super fun. You can do like a knitting or crochet or whatever that kind of hobby is. So if you start a thing People will also want to come and do that thing. And it you don't have to change your personality to do yep. it. Like if you're not into workouts or you're not into books or what, you know, the things that are sort of a little more common, then create the thing. Yeah. We had a, a walking club. I mean, we didn't call it a walking club, but there were just a group of us that wanted to get out and walk in the morning. And so we just said, okay, this is when we're going to do it. And it felt easy. It was like a set date, come if you can, if not, come next time. It didn't feel hard, mm-hmm. but it was like a set recurring time to get together and just talk. Because that's really, I think when you come, when, for me, and it comes down to it, I just need someone to talk to who like understands me, whether it's my fellow obsessive that is really into this like TV series that I'm watching, or it's a business bestie who understands all the pressures of running your own business. Just someone that you can talk to that can mm-hmm. see you and hear you and and help you. So it's inevitable though, with any friendship, you're going to have at some point a misunderstanding. And I love how candid you are in your book about some of those times and how you've dealt with them. Like if it's a friendship group, like someone's being left out or you've hurt someone's feelings. There was actually a question submitted in our group anonymously that I thought I would read to you and, and get your take on it. She says, for all of my life, I have been the giving friend. I have loved being present during my friend's trials and seeing them through their darkest times. But recently I've come upon a difficult issue myself and I've explained this to my close friends and I've been really surprised at who has been there for me and who has not. I know it's not an issue with these people not liking me. It's just, it feels like they don't care enough at the same time. What am I doing wrong? Were my expectations unrealistic to expect the same in return? Laura, what is your recommendation for someone who's having a similar misunderstanding with a friend? She's not doing anything wrong. In fact, I applaud her for saying to her friends, this is what I need. And if they do not come through in that way, that is on them and not a reflection of you. Because before you got to that part in the comment, I was going to say, well, she's going to have to tell them. Because if they're used to her being the one to show up, not everyone knows how to reciprocate in the same way. But since she did say to them, it will be helpful to me if you X, Y, Z, and they still didn't, that is really hard. Now, it also sounds like she has a healthy perspective of, I know that they love me. Like I know enough about them. I think a lot of this is a cultural issue. You know, we've talked about this some already, but We live in a world now where we don't have to show up for each other in the same way. Like we live in a world of Instacart, food delivery, Uber, you know what I mean? Like, so we don't have to help one another out because there are ways that we can pay someone else to help us out. And we 
we do that. We expect sort of others to do that. And Mm -hmm. some of our past ways of building community and loving on one another has sort of fallen away and yet they haven't been replaced by something else, right? So it's just let us feel alone. So I think that you have to state it again. This is sort of like what we talk about in partnership, right? Like in our marriages, if, if, if you say that you need something from your partner and it doesn't show up, well, you can't just spend like, well, it's over forever. Mm-hmm. I mean, you yeah. have to like, this has to be a continual conversation if you feel that these friendships are worth it to be like, hey, I actually still need this or I still want this. You know, it sometimes takes that kind of prompting, which I know feels like who wants to have to do the work of that? Like, I know that. So, but in the immediacy, if you're in an emergency, if you're in a particularly hard season, you just got to kind of work with what you have. In the bigger picture, then you have to evaluate if that is, you know, our friendships that are going to go the distance with you. If they're not showing up for you, even after you sort of plainly stating your needs here, that to me would just involve a lot of evaluation. And you can release them with love. You don't need to have a big dramatic friendship breakup. Like it doesn't have to be, you know, this big crazy rift. But when people show you who they are, maybe give them another chance in friendship. And then you have to believe them. They have not proven to you that they are going to show up. Now, she started her comment out by saying that she was the, has been historically the giving friend in her community or in her friendship groups. What a gift that is that I want her to really like, not just pass through that, but to like really notice that that's who she is. And I promise you that that is a gift to her friends, that she is that way. And I don't want the situation that she's in to make her jaded. And when she comes out of it to stop being the giving friend, Mm -hmm. like, please continue to be the giving friend. This is part of your spirit and part of your strength while also noticing what might need to shift in a bigger picture way. It's making me think of your philosophy, believe the best also. Like if you're not ready to just walk away from what you think is not a healthy friendship, maybe you, maybe your friends are going through something right now that you're not aware of and give them the benefit of the doubt. I don't know. It's tricky though. Cause when our feelings get hurt, they get hurt, especially when we need, and you we feel like we could really use a good friend right now. Well, and maybe they don't totally realize the extent that it's happening. So remember when I said I'd had my own friendship rifts in this exact area where I was dropping the ball, right? So I had multiple friends, like in different friend groups. This is why I knew the problem was definitely me because these were like people that didn't know me in different scenarios who believed the best about me and definitely called me out. Like, hey, I know you didn't mean this, But it really bummed me out that you did not reach out to me when my dad was in the hospital and you knew it. And like we went the whole summer. This is a a real situation in my life. I went the whole summer. I had a friend whose father was very, very ill and I was traveling. I was sort of in my own sort of season and she loved me and she called me out. And I realized you're right. I didn't. I did not check on you when your father was ill and I am so sorry. And it, I, be, I changed my behavior. I mean, several of these scenarios that were sort of the similar, sort of the similar thing is what brought me to make friendship as a to-do one of my main friendship philosophies. But it came from friends 
lovingly calling me out Mm. because I didn't realize how much it was actually hurting them. It wasn't that I didn't think of my friend whose father was ill. I thought of her constantly. I knew that friends who were more local to her, because again, I was traveling, like friends who were in town were checking on her and whatever. And so I was just like, oh, she's, she's taken care of. But she didn't feel held and taken care of. And I'm so glad that she told me. So to this friend who wrote in, that that's hard. I'm not saying it's easy, but it's possible that your friends who do love you and that we are believing the best about, they don't totally get what it is that yeah. you need or that it's hurting you that you're not getting it. So my best friend all through middle school and high school, and I would have said she was still my best friend when I was, you know, 30 years old and having my fourth baby um, grown apart though, because, you know, I got married young and I had kids young and she had a career and didn't have children. 9-11 came and, you know, that forced us to reevaluate everything that's near and dear to us. And Mm -hmm. I reached out to her and just said, you know, I love you. And I hate that we've grown apart and would love to, you know, get together and Anyway, she wrote back just a very painful email about how all of the things that I had done when I thought we were even close and the impact that I, negative impact I had in her life and how she had, after years of therapy, had cut me out of her life. And I was like shook, devastated. Like I had no idea that things I was doing as a stupid teenager you know, had impacted her that way. She never talked to me about it then. And then it continued to like weigh on her in such a way that she had to cut me out of her life. It it made, it just, it was a hard time in my life where I was like, oh, I'm a terrible person. I must be a Mm. horrible person. Like who else have I damaged and hurt along the way without knowing? I really wish that when we were, you know, 15, 16, she could have said, you know, hey, when you don't invite me to this, that really makes me feel bad. You know, Mm -hmm. having that courage and that, feeling secure enough in your friendships to be able to say, you know, this isn't, this isn't helping me or this isn't working for me. It could have saved us, you know, that really, really painful rift years down the road. I'm so sorry you went through that. I also went through a friendship breakup of a best friend that actually was kind of similar. She didn't detail my transgressions, (laughs) but she sent me a similar email that was basically like, I'm cutting you out of my life. And It was so hard for me. I didn't talk about it for years. And then when I did start talking about it, and then especially when I was, I did like dozens and dozens and dozens of interviews to prep for writing this book. When I would talk to women who had gone through what you're describing, similar friendship breakups of people that we had deep and meaningful friendships with, they talked about it. And I related, I'm sure you relate, as one of the biggest heartbreaks of their life. And that it was more painful than past romantic heartbreaks, you know, that it was more painful than some people said more painful than their divorces, honestly. And our culture does not give that kind of reverence to friendship breakups. You know, when we go through romantic breakups and divorces and stuff and you can't get out of bed for months, people are like, yes, I mean, breakups are so hard. When you go through a friendship breakup, people are just like, well, I mean... There's a lot of fish in the sea. There's a lot of friends. And that is not how we hold it in our heart. It feels like a rejection, like you're describing. That's what it felt to me. It felt like a heartbreaking rejection. And because she knew me so well, I was like, you know me so well, and you think this? You know, I mean, like that is 
the worst type of heartbreak. So thank you for sharing that story mm-hmm. because women do not share that story very much. We're embarrassed when we're broken up with as friends. We feel unlikable, unlovable. It's so hard to talk about it because truly people around us are like, well, that friendship was bad anyway, or well, y'all drifted apart anyway, so who cares? And it's not who cares. It is soul deep level, can be soul deep level sadness at a relationship ending, especially when we didn't choose that ending, or maybe if we're the ones who are having to break up with someone, you know, maybe it is, it is something that I want, and this is why I talk about the empty chair in the book. I want women to acknowledge as you are how hurtful and painful it is. And it's not just like shrug your shoulders, make a new friend. It is not that. Yeah. And it's different than the friendships that just naturally fizzle out because you were really close because you were neighbors and then you moved and, you know, and it doesn't end with like a heartbreaking, like cruel, like yeah. ending. Um, yeah. All right. Well, that was a little vulnerable, a little vulnerable moment for me there. It, it kind of did rattle my confidence though on like, well, what kind of friend am I? Like, what am I, how could I be so clueless? But you've given us so many important things to think about. And, and I think the real gift is being able to reevaluate the people that are currently in our life and what role they're playing and, and being able to categorize them as friend and, and, and whatever, like, lift your spirits that that can give you. That person doesn't have to fulfill every single, you know, aspect that you would consider a friend, you know, role fulfilling, but we've all, we we probably have more friends than we, than we realize. And we've given, you've given us some really great ideas on how to expand our circle and, and look for the new people in our life who we haven't met yet, because there's probably someone, someone out there who can be your, your yes friend or your confidant or <laughs> whatever. Yes. I think that making friends, whatever that looks like for you, if it's like just a, just another mom in the bleachers at the game on Friday night, you know, and then also like our soul sister deep kind of friends and all of those in between, when we pour into those relationships and on purpose, so we're we're taught to pour into our families and our faith and all of these things. When we yeah. pour into our friendships on purpose, I've noticed this so much in the last few years as I've really been in this topic. We feel more part of the world. And what we want to feel like now is part of our world because there's so much divisiveness in yeah. our country. The news is terrible. Scrolling social media makes us feel terrible or disconnected or like whatever friendships make us feel like we're here and they make us feel like we're like in the world together. And it's almost like we don't even realize how disconnected we have felt. We had the pandemic. We had a lot of times of isolation. We've been home more than usual. Like all of the things of the last few years have left us feeling really discombobulated. And even if you start to feel like, no, okay, like things are normal in in a lot of sense of the word. When you are with other people in relationship and feeling a connection, light or deep, it is like better for all of us. It is better for your spirit, it is better for your soul to feel all levels of, of connection and being in the world. It's just something that we can't 
There, there's no way to replicate it. It yeah. isn't. It's relationship and connection. It, it's it. It's the thing. Yeah. And one relationship kind of makes the whole world better. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Amen. Amen. So good, Laura. Uh, thank you so much for taking so much time to share your thoughts and your experiences and your wisdom on this topic. Where can our friends <laughs> learn more about you? Okay. Everything is at lauratremaine.com. From there, you can find my podcast, my books, my social media. I am mostly on Instagram at laura.tremaine. If you want to hear more about friendship or journaling or all the things. Check out the fish tanks. Yes. All the good stuff. See the fish tank, all the things. Yes. Oh, thanks for being such a good friend. And also keep your eyes peeled. We might be doing a giveaway. I feel like everyone needs this book and share your stuff. I'll go first. It's such a great way to, once you find your people to help connect and forge those Mm. deeper connections, having good, juicy conversations. Yes. All right. You're the best. Thank you so much. Thank you, my friend. She just called me friend. Oh, that makes me so happy. For details about the giveaway, go follow me over at Vanessa Quigley on Instagram. And maybe take a moment right now to go make a connection with someone. Text a friend or go hug someone, maybe even one of your children. They could be our friends too, right? Also, I want to leave you with one quick photo tip before we close. I know we just celebrated the moms in our life on Mother's Day, but Father's Day is right around the corner. And Chatbooks has interactive photo books for Father's Day, too. The pages have space for your kids to write in cute answers to questions like, what's your favorite thing to do with dad? And top three things I love about dad. The best gift, perfect for the dad and grandpas in your life. Okay, until next time.